Welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word together. I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are beginning a study in the book of Luke. And we really, in this episode, want to focus on verses 1 through 5, as we see that Luke begins his gospel with a purpose clause. Much like John's 2021, not the year, but the verse, purpose clause, we have Luke telling Theophilus, which could be a person, it could just be the reader, because Theophilus also means lover of God. But he's been taught the gospel. If it's a person, we're to read it as he's been taught the gospel, which brings life. And Luke wants to add certainty to an already established belief. So whether Theophilus is one person or many, they are believers, and he is looking to, that is Luke, is looking to add certainty to established belief. So what is Luke's purpose in this gospel account? And that is this, the gospel is not just a collection of short stories that make us feel better about ourselves. Instead, It's aimed at transforming us spiritually from dead to spiritually alive and spiritually alive to spiritually thrive. We desperately need certainty about such weighty things. And Luke's goal in verses 1 through 5 of his opening book, opening paragraph, is to bring that certainty. And we want to look at, throughout the book of Luke, how does he bring this certainty? Where do we see that playing into his writing? And we're going to see that specifically and more prominently in chapter 2 as we begin to look at the, the birth narrative of Jesus, and we begin to see him say things like, in that region, or such and such was the emperor or was the governor of this area at this time. He's putting it in real time, real context. But Luke begins his account of Jesus's life and ministry with not one, but two birth announcements. And the first one is not of Jesus. So we meet our first people, our first characters in this book, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we see that they are One, righteous and blameless before God. This is a righteous couple. They keep the commands of God, and they live out their love of God. We also see that they are barren. And for someone at that time to be barren or to be childless, to be infertile, back then especially, would have had implications that they were actually living in sin, even though they were not really. And yet we find them as a righteous and holy but barren couple. This would set up as a cultural dissonance to the first century, first century readers. This would create a sense of what is about to happen next. Because we have a righteous couple, but they're barren. Why would God be choosing this couple? Why would Luke choose to write about this couple? Well, we also learn, and the third thing we learn about them is that they were old. They weren't just barren. They were old. They were advanced in years, which if you're counting means not only were they barren, they were unlikely to ever have children. They were way past the childbearing age, so they would likely die childless. So the reader begins to tense at this stage. Barren and in advanced age sets up a sense of hopelessness for our characters. 
And it brings out the question, what will God do with them? Will God be the hope in the midst of hopelessness? Will God look favorably on his people who walk with him? And here is a righteous couple who walk with God, and God walks with them, and yet he has not given them children? How will God be the hope and the hopelessness? That's going to be the question that sets up the tension. Now, as we get into verses 8 through 10, and this is going to be a run-through of chapter 1, Amos, if you remember back to our study of Amos, said that there would be a famine of God's word, that people would be thirsty for God's word, and God had been silent for over 400 years Here is our priest, Zechariah, burning incense and praying to God. On some level, maybe he didn't expect anything to happen. It hasn't happened. Nothing has happened. Silence has happened for 400 years. But in that silence, and in that silence of the moment, God spoke through his messenger, and there was an angel. And the angel appears with a message. Your prayer has been Answered. His prayer for a child has been answered. You have to ask what prayer. Zechariah wanted a son. God now grants that prayer to the old barren couple. But while this brings joy to the couple, God intends joy for many, many more people than just them. This son will be a special son, set apart. He will be great before the Lord. God is going to use this child. He will set apart this child. He will be set apart from the rest of society as a Nazarite. He will have a purpose. God will use John to call a wayward people back. This is setting the stage for the hymn in which all Scripture whispers his name. This has echoes all the way back to Genesis. He will strike the head of the serpent. John's mission, his purpose, his job, his duty on earth is to prepare the people for the one that all of Scripture longs for. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and God will work through John to accomplish this. That's going to be a phrase we see often in the book of Luke. God will walk again with man. And we continue Zechariah's story, and then we meet another couple here in verse 26 through 27. We're introduced to Mary and Joseph, and we have Gabriel, the same Gabriel who spoke to Zechariah. We learned, one, that Gabriel is sent. That's important. He was on a mission. He wasn't just there. He was sent. We learned that Joseph is of the line of David. This is important because it fulfills prophecy of a new Davidic king. Mary, we also learn, is a virgin. So unlike the first story, this is not a miraculous natural birth. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth do conceive a child. God delivers on his promise to give them a child. But while they were advanced in age and barren up until that point, it was a natural conception and a natural birth. But what we see with Mary is this will not be natural. This will be supernatural. This will be something that God alone is accomplishing. Uh, We see in the next few verses, verses 28 through 30, we see that we have this pronouncement of the the birth of Jesus, similar to the first announcement. So we have some similarities. Mary and Zechariah are both afraid, and why not? When an angel shows up, it's generally a sign of doom, and yet the angel has to say, as many angels do in Scripture, do not be afraid. 
we see that they both find favor and read into that God's grace when you read the word favor. They both are promised a child. John would be the one to prepare, and Jesus would reign. Jesus was to be the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. He would reign forever on his father David's throne, but more importantly, his true father, God the Father. He would be the Davidic king promised, and he would reign forever as promised through the prophets. This is no mere promised child. This is God taking on human flesh. And in verse 35, we have a very important verse. Mary asks, how will this happen since I'm a virgin? Virgin, And God says this, this will be accomplished by God. Now, he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will dwell over you. But what I want to point out here is that what, what God is saying, what the angel is saying about what God will do, he's saying this, God will do this. Don't worry about how you can't do this. This is from God. This will be accomplished by and through God. And Mary's response is humility. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. And she submits to the Lord's plan. Will it be easy? No. Will it cause her discomfort? Yeah. And yet she submits to it because God is about to bring water to a thirsty world. He is going to redeem a fallen creation. And he did. I also want to take, as we conclude here, a moment to highlight the two songs that are sung. Zachariah sings a song, and Mary sings a song. Now, were they number one hits back then? No. Uh, But they are written down for us because they are important. So we shoot from Mary to Zechariah and Zechariah to Mary. Uh, Both will sing the song to the Lord. Mary will praise God and praise him for blessing the humble of the world. Her song was one of highlighting the salvation of God. Zechariah had a similar theme to this as well. For he, for him, it was the son theme, his son's theme, a theme of preparation, that his son would be one to prepare the people of God for the true king. And so we end this chapter with John being born and preparing for the day in verse 80 that he would prepare God's people. We have two birth narratives in this chapter, and we would ask, Why? In fact, the first two chapters are essentially the two birth narratives. So why does Luke begin his book about Jesus with not one but two birth narratives? Well, we see that John, again, is for the preparation of Jesus, the true king. Our characters are barren or they're a virgin, and yet this is of little consequence to God. He that spoke creation into existence can cause the old to have a a child and the virgin to be with child. You see, nothing is outside of his power. The humble state of our characters was simply to highlight God's authority and power over all creation and that his plan is for the lowly as much as it is for the world as a whole. God's plan for salvation is now put into motion. We must, like our characters, find our humility in God's plan. And we must submit ourselves to do as he commands. Thank you for joining me in Rooted Together, and I look forward to joining you in Luke chapter 2 next time. I'll see you there.